everyone. Welcome to Chronicles of Curiosity. I'm Katie, and with me here is my co-host. Mason. Uh, today, I want to start things off with a question you may have been asked before. That is, what have you been curious about this week? Anything been sticking on your noggin? Yeah. Anything been knocking on your door? Yeah, a couple brain? things. One kind of led to another. Okay. Um, I've had a headache all day. Like me it's too. gone. It's gone now, but okay. this morning it was it was like nonstop. So I took Tylenol mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. you know... Um, and I was sitting there and my headache went away like it always does when you take Tylenol. Yeah. And I was thinking, why, uh, does it work? Like, why does Tylenol actually work? So this is something I was actually curious about, not just something that I was thinking about or had been interested in throughout the week. Mm -hmm. I was genuinely curious. I had no idea. I never thought about it. And basically scientists aren't completely sure how Tylenol works. Really? Yeah. They know that it blocks like inflammation yeah so if you have like isn't it something with like the nerve receptors or it blocks them from receiving the signals that that you're feeling pain or isn't something like that yeah something like that yeah yeah yeah. um but it's actually uh it it blocks like the chemical that makes your makes your brain perceive pain so it's not that your Mm -hmm. your pain is actually going away or it's not it's not like actually fixing anything yeah it's just making it so you have a higher pain tolerance. So it's like convincing your brain that you're not feeling the pain, but it's still there. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. crazy. Um, and then anyway, so that led me to uh, thinking about other kinds of medicine mm-hmm. and like that sort of thing. So I, I've started looking up other painkillers and ibuprofen and, and uh, you know, other uh, over-the-counter painkillers are pretty similar. But that led me to anesthesia. Oh, like for surgeries, man. And I had known this before, but I looked it up just because I was curious about it. And did you know that scientists don't know? They don't really know how it works. And they don't know what happens when you are under anesthesia. I have heard this and it is so scary to me. Yeah. Doesn't that? Like, that's crazy. Like, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't know. Yeah, they, they don't, don't know what happens. They don't even really know completely how it works either. Yeah. Like, they, they know that it shuts down portions of the brain. Yeah. But the scariest thing, Uh-oh. and what I, like, actually looked into today, there is a possibility, and it is small, and I'm not trying to scare anybody that has a surgery upcoming, um, because you'll be fine, but there is a small possibility that in human brains the memory is still recorded even while you're under general anesthesia. Mm. So that would mean that, and you're, you're, you're not conscious when you're uh, under like general anesthesia. You're really, you're really not, you can't, you can't form thoughts in the same way. Right. But you can form memories and there's a possibility that you, your brain can still interpret the pain of a surgery even while you're asleep. So there is a chance that you could be feeling pain during a surgery and just not remember it that's crazy so like you could be feeling pain from like one moment to another and then when you come up you know you come to yeah it's just it's completely the memories are completely gone and you're like wow that was amazing it feels like i just closed my eyes but meanwhile while you're uh under the anesthesia you're like in agony during your surgery that's frightening but that led me to think if you don't have any memories of it is it actually even real does it even matter that it happened to you like, think about it. If you had something, like, if you hurt your foot and you don't really remember, you don't have any trauma, like, associated with that. So does mm. it really matter in the same way? I don't think it does. I don't know. It probably varies from person to person, just based on how you feel about the situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's not where this that's not where this whole story led me. 
This is a long yeah. explanation. Yeah, All right. so it was one to the other. So it was like yeah. As Tylenol. work. Yeah, Tylenol, acetaminophen, which is Tylenol, mm-hmm. uh, ibuprofen, general anesthesia, surgeries. And then I remembered a short story that I read like five or six years ago by Stephen King, mm-hmm. who I don't think I've mentioned, but by far my favorite horror author, but favorite author, full stop. Mm-hmm. I, that's, I pretty much, for a while, I was like, for years, I was only reading Stephen King yes. books. Like I would suggest books to him that I think he would like, and he probably would have liked them, but he could only get himself to read Stephen King. Yeah. And sometimes I would try to read another yeah. book and I'd be sitting there and I'd be reading it, and I'm like, I'm just not having a good time reading this. Yeah, so I would go back to, something. I would go back to Mr. King. Mr. King. Um, he was writing for a magazine publication or a newspaper publication, something like that, when he was relatively young. I think it was this was back like in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a short story called The Jaunt. Okay. I think I told you about this, but do you remember anything from it? Nope. Uh, so it's, it is a pretty short story, but to make it even shorter, uh, the story set like sometime in the future when humans figure out teleportation. Mm-hmm. So teleporting between Earth and other planets, especially Mars, is common. People go back and forth and they it's kind of like a tourist thing. So this family, just like a normal husband, wife, daughter, son, or what two sons, whatever, um, they are going to be taking a trip to Mars mm-hmm. and they're getting briefed on what they need to do before they teleport. Okay. And they need to go under like basically they need to be under anesthesia okay which is how this kind of came came into play all right and they enter the machine or whatever and it to them while they're suspended in you know sleep from the anesthesia it's like they're immediately transported to wherever they're going it's like right. bam it's done right there's like no time in between right right falling asleep and waking up so the the one of the kids um of the family was curious about practice kind of like what happens if you don't go under for anesthesia okay while you're being teleported so he fakes the process where they give him a pill or whatever they induce you know the gas or whatnot they he fakes it pretends he takes it but actually doesn't mm-hmm. steps into the teleportation machine and the next scene in the short story is the family the rest of the family on Mars, and they're all excited. They're happy. They're like, wow, that was incredible. Can you believe we just teleported? That was awesome. Now we're on Mars. That's crazy. And then the sun steps out, and his eyes are completely pale. He doesn't have any pupils. His hair is bleach white and is shaking and crying and can't even really talk. And uh, basically the story ends is that because he didn't go under general anesthesia, he experienced like an eternity of just torment, of just being in like nothingness. Because Whoa. he, yeah, because something went wrong, you know, something goes wrong when you're not in under anesthesia. It's a very scary story. I'm not doing yeah. it justice. Um, but I it, mean, it's intriguing, if nothing else. Yeah, and it's free. So if you just look it up online, because it's... What's it called? The Jaunt. Okay. Yeah. By Stephen King? Yep. It's super, super short. It's like a couple pages long, and it's an excellent story. And I did mm. spoil it for you, but you did, that but... doesn't mean that it's any less good. I think there was probably, I think there was a movie or like an episode of a TV show uh, made about it a hmm. while ago. Okay. I definitely recommend it. It's right. good. That's what I've been thinking about. So Tylenol, Tylenol led you to that. Tylenol led me to surgery, led me to general anesthesia, led me to teleportation, which led me to Stephen King. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's the trail of my thoughts. Wow. Yeah. Is there anything you've been curious about this week? I have been curious about dogs and what they think of their owners, like their perceptions of us. 
Um, and actually, I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, I was sitting at the desk and in here, and um, I was like thinking out loud, kind of talking with my hands, and I put my hand down over the armrest on my right, and I just had it dangling down to my side. And all of a sudden, I feel this gentle little nose boop on my finger. And I look down, and Hazel, Hazel, who is our rat. Welsh corgi, oh. <laughs> not a rat, our our dog Hazel was um, sitting there, sitting down there, looking up at me. She had obviously booped my hand with her nose, and she just had this most precious, like I am so happy, kind of little smile Aww. on her face with like sleepy eyes, and she had her ears down. By the way, we'll have to post a picture of Hazel. She is our baby angel. Yeah, she's a little sweetheart. Yeah. Um, and she was just looking up at me, just so happy to, I don't know, just be next to me. It was so sweet. So I sat there scratching her little head for a while, but I just would really like to know. Like, I know scientists have guesses of how dogs perceive owners but we don't really know like they can't tell us no yeah and we'll probably never know right yeah but but don't say that i want to know but well they know that they're able to take like scans of the dog's brain yeah like certain yeah they know that they're like excited so like they'll show them a bone in a certain part of their brain will light up and then their owners will walk in and that same part will light up right but more intensely so they know like so cute yeah so they know that it their dogs are excited to see their owners. They're happy to be with their owners. Yeah. But we, yeah, we'll probably never know. But did you see that thing where uh, dogs, especially female dogs, uh, judge their owners based on like yes. adequacy to yeah, take care of them like, and to take care of themselves? D- also, like if they do something clumsy or like embarrassing or something, uh, yeah. might, maybe that we would perceive as embarrassing. We're not sure if dogs can understand what embarrassment is. But yes, I did actually see that. So. And we are up to some tomfoolery sometimes, usually while we're playing with Hazel. So yeah. I don't think she's judging us in those moments. But when I drop something in the oven, maybe. She was watching very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Judgmentally? No. She was very, intently. She was watching very intently while I was removing a particular pizza from the oven for our dinner this evening. Didn't go very well. Anyway, shall we get started? Sure. <laughs> Anything else you wanted to add? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. All right. So today we are going to be talking about the life and crimes of Ed Gein. Oh, one of the most infamous. That's all. Just one of the most infamous. One of the most infamous. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, do you know the story of Ed Gein? Um. Ed Gein, I know significantly less about Ed Gein than I do like Dahmer or Bundy. Mm, okay. But I think most people know a couple of things. Yeah, okay. yeah, I know a couple of things. Probably know like the main uh, theme around the story. Uh huh. Um, or like what he's known for, what his MO was. But yeah. I don't know a lot of his personal life and uh, like a lot of his background. He was also quite a while before Bundy and Gacy yes. and all that, yes. right? Like he yes. was before the serial killer panic. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Edward Theodore Gein was born on August 27th, 1906 in La Crosse, Wisconsin, to parents George and Augusta Gein. He was their second son and was the youngest of the family. He had an older brother named Henry George Gein, who was five years older than him. Ed had a bit of a rough upbringing. Uh, his mother was extremely religious and was a devout Lutheran. She seemed to make it her goal to really strongly instill in her sons that sex was evil and women were instruments of the devil, which will become important later on in this story. Yeah. 
What were you going to say? Oh, with her being a woman, that's an interesting perspective to take. I thought that too. What's that called? Like Stockholm Syndrome? Where I, you're... That is not Stockholm Syndrome. You're... Okay, yeah, that's true. Have you seen that... Beauty and the Beast? That's supposed to be a, a situation of Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Augusta set aside time every afternoon to read to the boys from the Bible, typically from the Old Testament or the Book of Revelations. So she was quite selective in her... Um, teachings yeah so she knew what she was doing yes with those yeah yes she missed a pretty good chunk there yeah like the the loving chunk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um and ed's father george was an alcoholic who struggled to keep a job which must have irritated augusta to no end just based on her religious beliefs like i would assume that she wasn't super happy in that marriage i don't know for sure we don't know much more than that about his parents but yeah especially being uh that time period so like if you assume he was 10 that would have been like 1916 um which would have been a couple years away from prohibition yeah which historically america was at an all-time high with their intolerance of drinking right but also america was at its highest uh alcoholics per capita for a time george had owned a local grocery store but he ended up selling the business and moving his family to a little more than 100 miles northeast to plainfield wisconsin to live on a 155 acre farm ed's mother augusta ever the manipulator used the isolation of the farm to her advantage and turned away all outsiders that could possibly influence her sons uh, the only reason Ed would leave the farm was to attend school. Otherwise, he was always doing chores on the farm. He had very little social interaction. Gein was described as shy, which left an impression on his teachers and classmates, surprisingly. Uh, they did recall him having some peculiar mannerisms, such as laughing just completely at random, seemingly at his own jokes, maybe, unclear. And to add to the isolation he was already dealing with, his mother would punish him if he tried to make friends. So he was being bullied at school. And then when he got home, if he was trying to reach out and make any friends, his mom would punish him for it, which is, what? Like, why? So he had a rough childhood. He did have a rough childhood, yes. Yeah. But despite the cards being stacked against him socially, Ed did quite well in school, and he seemed to particularly succeed in reading. When Ed was 34, we're going to jump ahead a little bit here. Um, when he was 34, his father, George, died of heart failure as a result of his long-term alcoholism. He was 66 years old at the time of his death. Ed and his brother, Henry, began doing odd jobs around the town to help cover living expenses for the farm. And despite the lack of social interaction throughout their childhood years, the boys were considered reliable and honest. They both worked around town as handymen, um, but Ed also frequently babysat for neighbors. Oh, uh, a lot of serial killers were babysitters. I don't like that. Yeah, it's a really weird correlation. Huh. Interesting. His brother eventually began dating a divorced mother of two and planned to move in with her, but he was concerned about Ed's noticeable attachment to their mother, like because he would be leaving Ed and his mom alone. He's just a little bit concerned about Ed. Um, Henry expressed concern about his brother's strong emotional bond with their mother and frequently criticized her in front of ed i think to kind of just like test test the, the waters. waters see how he would react um and he would react react surprised and he seemed hurt by henry's statements he seemed to be kind of taking them a little bit personally um and this is the mother that would basically verbally abuse him for yes. like anything pretty much yes so this is like stockholm syndrome well kind of Maybe a little bit. Yeah. 
well, yeah, that's a real possibility. Um, in May of 1944, Ed and Henry were burning some marsh vegetation on the farmland when the fire got out of control. Um, the fire department showed up to help settle down the blaze, but by the end of the day, Ed realized his brother Henry was missing. Oh. Ed and a search party took lanterns and flashlights out to search the area where Henry's body would be found face down on the ground. Oh. Um, he had actually died earlier that day due to heart failure. And had been totally missed by the fire. He was not burned. Nothing happened within that. He just um, he just died from the heart failure. How old was he at this point? Um, well, it was 1944. Henry was born in 1901. So he'd have been 43? About, or yeah. Or 44. Mm-hmm, right about there. Later on, it would be reported that Henry was found with bruising on his head. But the possibility of foul play was dismissed by police. Uh, a coroner did officially list the cause of death as asphyxiation, but an autopsy was not performed. I don't know about you, but that sounds like it might have been foul play to me. Yeah, that sounded, sounds like it might have been victim number one. Sounds a little suspicious, especially because, like, my I was thinking about this, and my theory is that perhaps Ed got upset or got tired of Henry talking shit about his mama, their mama, but his mama... And uh, took matters into his own hands. And my thoughts are, while he was taking care of Henry, that was when the fire got out of blaze. Because he, or got out, not got out of blaze, got out of control. (laughs) The blaze got out of control. Because he wasn't paying attention or he wasn't keeping it under control or managed. So Did he ever, I wonder if he ever had a story of what was happening while the fire was getting out of control. Was he like, oh, I just took a nap and then my brother went off and. Not that was uh, publicized. To give a little bit of. Not credit, but what's the word I'm looking for? Um, to take a little bit of the blame off the investigators. They did not know that Ed was going to go on to be one of the most horrific True. serial killers. Right. Right. They just That's... thought he was a little odd and probably... And he... Lonely. Lonely, yeah. Now his brother's dead. Yeah. Yep. Um, so after Henry's death, it was now just Ed and his mother, Augusta. Not long after Henry's death, Augusta suffered from a paralyzing stroke, and Ed took it upon himself to become her primary caretaker. Uh, Later on in 1945, Augusta would suffer from a second stroke, which would significantly affect her health. She would later pass away on December 29, 1945, at only 67 years old, leaving Ed completely alone in the world. Oh, I almost feel bad for him, so good job for making me feel bad for this monster. Thank you, thank you. Uh, after the passing of his mother, Ed maintained the farm on his own, uh, earning money from odd jobs around the town. He completely boarded up any of the rooms in the farmhouse that his mother had used, which included the entire upstairs, the downstairs parlor, and the living room. He just lived in a small room, like, just out the kitchen. That's, like, an extreme version of parents keeping their children, like, their child passes away, keeping their room the same. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, that... Something like that that you just described is almost like a memorial in a way, whereas this this feels more like complete avoidance of your emotions. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'm familiar with situations such as that. <laughs> You're uh, in therapy now, though, so it's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it was around this time that Ed became interested in reading pulp magazines and adventure stories, his favorites of which contained stories of cannibalism and Nazi atrocities. Okay. Yeah, not the best um, reading material for anyone, but especially someone uh, who just went through an intense tragedy and is now living alone. Yeah. Yeah. 
so we're going to skip ahead a little bit to November 16th, 1957. On this day, the owner of a local hardware store named Bernice Warden disappeared. A resident of Plainfield, Wisconsin, claimed that the truck belonging to the hardware store left from the rear of that building around 9.30 that morning. And later that evening, Bernice's son, Deputy Sheriff Frank Warden, entered the store where he found the cash register open and bloodstains on the floor. Right away, I knew something was wrong. Yes. Uh, Frank, her son, said that the evening before Bernice's disappearance, Ed Gein had been in the store and it was said he returned the following morning to purchase a gallon of antifreeze, which that actually is corroborated by a um, sales slip for a gallon of antifreeze that Bernice had written a receipt for. She had signed off. Um, it was actually the last receipt that she had written that day, the evening of the day that Bernice disappeared. So this is all one day so far. Gein was arrested in a West Plainfield grocery store. After his arrest, police searched the Gein farm where they found Bernice's decapitated body in a shed on the property. She was hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrists. Her torso had also been, quote, dressed out like a deer. Uh, she also had been shot with a 22 caliber rifle. Uh, it was determined that all of the mutilations done to her body had happened post-mortem. So um, it's presumed that she was shot and died from, from the wound. And then some experimentation or research was done. Can you imagine these, these small town police officers just Jeez. thinking they're going out to talk to somebody? Like, yeah. hey, you see this person? We're looking for them. And then you walk into their shed and you see that. Just wait. Just wait. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelt. I don't want to. Uh, after searching the house, the police would find so much more. And if you're easily grossed out, you may want to skip the next couple of minutes. But this is where the real core of the Ed Gein story lies. Yeah, this you're is, listening to Ed Gein. You know right. what you're getting into. No, they probably don't. Mm, that's they true. Pro- it's possible that they don't. So yeah. if you do not, um, it's going to get a little graphic. But this is really a key part to understanding Ed Gein and knowing about his story. So if you feel that you can handle it, here we go. Uh, So after searching the house, police found the following. Whole human bones and bone fragments, a wastebasket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats like as upholstery, skulls on his bedposts, female skulls, some with the tops sewn off, bowls made from human skulls like a cereal bowl, made from a human skull, a corset made from a female torso that had been skinned from shoulders to waist, leggings made from human skin. What? I just watched your eye twitch, and that's exactly how I felt about that. Wait, would he wear them? Presumably? Anyway, masks made from the skin of female heads, Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack, Bernice Warden's heart quote, in a plastic bag in front of Gein's potbelly stove, end quote. Nine vulvae in a shoebox. What? Nine. Um, a young girl's dress and the vulvae of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. I don't even have words. I don't even know. What, what do you even say to that? You don't. Um, they also found a belt made from human nipples. Four noses, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring, a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, fingernails from female fingers, 
um, and the face mask, like face skin of a woman named Mary Hogan in a paper bag and also Mary Hogan's skull in a box. Now, Mary Hogan was the owner of a tavern who had been missing since 1954. Gein later admitted to shooting her, although later he claimed he could not remember details of her death. But clearly, um, he had something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. I don't want to, you know, it's already graphic enough, but I, I, my brain can't really conjure up an image of like a human body part beyond like a hand or like a leg or something mm-hmm. out, off the body. Do you know what I mean? Like when you say they found lips, well, I don't, I can't, I don't know what, I can't formulate a, a visual of that in my mind. Well, with that being said, I, under no circumstances do I suggest researching any of these particular um items i know it can be tempting as mason just displayed here mm-hmm. um you know some some people would like to know what a lampshade made from human face skin could look like or a nipple belt i am suggesting you don't do that it's not good are there real pictures of it um yeah 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 they're i'm so so some of them they're kind of hard to find i do believe i have seen the nipple belt before can't unsee that that was many years ago and it's still burned into my brain yeah that's something that'll stick with you mm-hmm. you don't i mean you don't see nipple belts every day you sure don't yeah you, you see don't. nipples every day and you see belts every day but you well, you almost never see them together i don't think i see belts every day maybe i, I wear know. a belt every day pretty much anyway uh now as you can probably imagine the police are like dude what the fuck you been up to out here on the farm what is going on oh me just farm life no this is not farm life Um, Well, when questioned, Ed admitted that between the years of 1947, which was two years after his mother's death, uh, so 1947 and 1957, he had been frequenting three local graveyards during the night to exhume bodies that had recently been buried. He claims these events happened under a, quote, days-like state. So uh, this is the first time I'm hearing about this in detail. Yeah. At least they were already dead. Except for the except for the ones that he murdered. The ones that he murdered. Right. Um, on around thirty of these little journeys, he said he came out of the days while in the cemetery and left the grave as he found it, returning back home empty handed. Uh, but on the other nights he would dig up the graves of recently buried middle aged women whom he thought resembled his mother. Hmm. You ever have Just one too many bud lights and find yourself to- in a cemetery? <laughs> No, that has never happened to me one time. You? No. Okay. That's what I But I'm still young. Anyway, he would then take the bodies home where he would tan their skins to make whatever particular item was uh, tickling his creative fancy at that time. Um, And I was thinking about this when I was doing the research. I was not able to find uh, how he would determine um, if they looked like his mother, if they resembled his mother. I don't know if it was like obituaries, if he was cracking open the coffins and seeing if they looked like his mother and then basing it on that. That I am not sure of, if that is a question that anyone else was wondering, because I know I wondered it while I was researching and I was not able to find the answer. Yeah, that's a crazy amount of work to dig out six feet of, is it five feet or six feet? Six. Six feet of dirt. Yeah. And then open it up and be like, oh man, it's a 42-year-old man. Yeah. This isn't going to work at all. Yeah. Well, and I'm if not... you're in a days-like state, it probably doesn't cost you much energy. Yeah, it's true. Uh, not long after his mother's death, Gein had begun to make a, quote, woman suit so that he 
could become his mother, to literally crawl into her skin, end quote. <sighs> so that was the part when I was typing up these notes that I tried to take a bite of something. I almost threw up. Yeah, the whole time you were researching this um, from out in our living room, I heard, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, what is, oh, no. Yeah. No. Just various exclamations of, sweet Jesus, this is not pleasantry. Um, and now, okay, just a note, because some may be wondering this, because I think this was a rumored thing. Um, at one time, he did not have sex with the bodies that he exhumed. He claimed they, quote, smelled too bad, end quote. Which, are you kidding me? You know, me? I get it, though. Are you, are you kidding? I think he's telling the truth about this. Probably, but they smell too bad to have sex with. Good, good, but they didn't smell too bad to remove bodily parts and turn them into furniture i i mean i i think you're focusing on the wrong thing here (laughs) maybe you're right uh anyway so on to the trial he's been arrested after um the findings um so november 21st 1957 ed gein was charged with one count of first degree murder in washara county court where he pled not guilty by reason of insanity He was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found mentally incompetent, thus making him unfit to stand trial. Gein was then sent to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally criminally Insane, which is now called the Dodge Correctional Institution. Yes, I said now because this place is still up and running. Um, Which, that was a maximum security facility in Wapun, Wisconsin. Sorry, real quick, I have a a tangent. You probably know more about this than I do because I'm I'm not as well-versed in true crime. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was was, uh, the argument of insanity in a court case, was that more common at this time period? Because it seems like now, um, from like cases that you see actively ongoing... Um, it seems like some people try to argue the for reason of insanity, but it's almost never granted. Like you can have the most unhinged people stand trial, mm. and you're like, man, should they be there? Should they be standing trial? But they are. You ha- they have to be a hundred percent sure that you are, you know, mm-hmm. mentally insane. Like from a clinical standpoint, I think now there's probably just more research and more known, I guess, mental illnesses or conditions that might have previously been perceived as insanity. I mean, like way back, they used to think when women were just horny that they were insane. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's probably just based on... Just knowledge. Scientific progression. I also can't help but feel like maybe, peop, you know, criminals kind of... They, they recognized that other criminals were, were being let off because of this. Maybe. And, it's a real possibility. You know, yeah. I, I can't fault them for it. Yeah. For... I guess wanting to argue, you know, argue for reason of insanity, but that's just my thought mm-hmm. is that it's becoming less prevalent now. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, after leaving, uh, the facility, he would later be transferred to the Mendota state hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. After spending nearly 11 years there, doctors determined that Gein was quote, mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense End quote. His trial began on November 7th, 1968. Now, a psychiatrist had testified that Gein told him he did not know whether Bernice Worden's murder had been an accident or was intentional. I have a thought. Do ya? <laughs> Let me continue and then we'll discuss. <laughs> no, the thought is that it was not 
unintentional and it was not an accident. Okay. Uh, Gein told the psychiatrist that he had been examining a gun in Warden's store when the gun went off, killing her. He testified that after trying to load a bullet into the rifle, it discharged. He said he had not intentionally aimed the rifle at Bernice. And he said he did not remember anything else that had happened that morning. Now, to just jog anyone's memories, what else happened was that he decapitated her and put her head in a burlap sack and removed her heart and put it in a plastic bag in front of his stove. And he also hung her up by her feet. And he also shot her. Which, he shot her. Yeah. So that part's confirmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whether or not it was an accident is up for debate. But the fact, that's a lot of steps afterwards to take. To just not remember, too. Yeah, to not remember. Yeah. It's the accident part that's sticking with me. Yep. Yeah. I mean, not an accident that the gun went off. I mean, that's not unplausible. But Mm -hmm. everything after, I mean... I don't think I'm breaking new ground by saying this. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think so. Uh, per the request of the defense, Gein's trial was held without a jury, with Judge Robert H. Gulmer presiding. Ed Gein was found guilty by the ju- judge on November 14th, just one week into the trial. It was like a week. I mean, they had a lot of um, proof. Uh, There was a second trial to deal with Gein's insanity in which, after testimony by doctors for both the prosecution and defense, Judge Gulmer ruled Gein, quote, not guilty by reason of insanity, unquote, and ordered him back to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. On July 28, 1984, Ed Gein would die at the Mendota Mental Health Institute due to respiratory failure as a result of lung cancer. He was 77 years old. That was the worst ones that get off the easiest. Not that lung cancer is easy in any way, shape, or form, but... Uh, He would be buried in his hometown of Plainfield under a simple, modest tombstone that simply had his name and the years he was born and died, nothing else. Um, Over time, his tombstone would be vandalized by those seeking souvenirs or wanting some connection to Gein just because of his... I don't want to say popularity, but infamy. People knew about him because his case was fucked yeah it's it's dark tourism yes the whole thing yeah um so they would take little chipped pieces from his tombstone um the stone itself was actually stolen sometime in the year 2000 but it would later be recovered near seattle washington in june of 2001 it was then placed in storage somewhere at the washara county sheriff's department which means he's buried in an unmarked grave Hmm. they do know where the grave is Um, the location is known because he was buried right near his brother and his parents Mm -hmm. Um, but he does not have a tombstone. So that is the story of Ed Gein. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed learning something new today or possibly re-listening to, um, a subject possibly familiar to you already, but either way, thank you. Um, here's some of my sources for this episode. I couldn't reasonably, reasonably list all of them, but here's the highlights. Um, Fiendish Killers, Perpetrators of the Worst Possible Evil, a book by Ann Williams, Amy Williams, and Vivian Head. Um, biography, Ed Gein by Alex Flaster, and Deviant by Harold Schechter. Those were the uh, the star players of giving us today's information. So, Excellent. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this horrific murderer. Yes. Again, don't fucking Google it. Don't Google the images. Don't even Google his name, you freak. Well, you can. You can. But don't Google Ed Gein creations. Don't. Don't Google the words Ed Gein 
arts and crafts. <laughs> uh, or Ed Gein lampshade. Oh, we were talking about what not. we should name the episode. Maybe that's the what. Maybe that's the winner. What arts and crafts? Arts. Oh, arts and crafts with Ed Gein. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, feel free to um, reach out on Instagram, on TikTok, through our email. Um, our at is Chronicles of Curiosity Podcast on Instagram. And TikTok is Chronicles of Curiosity Pod. Um, we're trying to get a bit more active on TikTok. So if you have any input or would like to find us on there, we are out there. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening. Give us a follow. Hit the notifications button. Leave us a review if you're feeling particularly generous, loving and kind and welcoming. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's all I've got. All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night, day, rest of your week, whenever you're listening to this. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.